Welcome to Aw Crap, a Hellboy podcast, the show dedicated to the half-demon hero, hosted by me, Mark David Christensen. And me, Kate Thompson. Yes, Kate! Yeah! Yeah! Woo! It's been a while. Um, yeah. the, the, the folks listening will know that we're just coming at you week to week, but there has been some gaps just due to personal life stuff. For so our stuff, yeah. It's good to see your face on the yeah, screen. You too. <laughs> it's funny that we have yet, um, we're being safe. We have yet to record in person. I know. <laughs> I also live further away now. Yeah, that's so we'll true. see how it works. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we're making it. We're making it work when we're still far away. So yeah, I think so. There's nothing to adjust just yet. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see if we get Delta variant, uh, whatever's booster shots or something. Yeah, there you go, Delta variant. I keep doing really bad things when I'm like, if I see people in real life, I'll. And, we, and when I, my goodbye now is see you after the Delta variant. <laughs> no. <laughs> Such a, that is so apocalyptic, dude. That's like, it very much is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the rest of the world, not America, outside of America, there's plenty of places in America that have not gotten over this. This yeah. is not over. <laughs> yeah. L.A., it's just like back and forth. Like, I don't know. Yeah, go to Utah. I'm not They're like, to never seeing you. I would love to see you. Yeah. I just, yeah, we both are vaccinated and that would be fine. But yes. truly, it feels like another lockdown might be coming. I, I, I don't know. I, I have I no clue. I doubt it, it day. now, but people like gave so little of a shit before, and now they give extra no shits. For sure. Well, we yeah. give a shit. We're pl- we play it safe. I mean, I have seen some movies, but I've worn masks as I go, and even though I'm vaccinated, Me too. Me too. I just and I I'm gonna let myself. I, I sort of base it on staff. If I've ever gone out to even pick up food or. Sat oh down. yeah, every time I go inside, like if I'm at a grocery store, I'm still putting like if this Me too. If the workers have to wear the mask. I feel obligated. Yeah. And I I have I'd yet rather... to go to a restaurant. That's really the only thing. Wait, did I? No, I didn't. I went to a birthday. I went to Cantor's for a birthday recently. Oh, yeah, how was that? It was fun. I mean, they okay. definitely are still spacing. Like I have not Good. been to a restaurant that's like maybe the one by my house that's like walkable. Is yeah. the most I've felt like, oh, I'm sitting like at a normal restaurant, but it wasn't like 100% packed. Like, yeah. I'm not wall to wall by people. And like, Cantor's was still like very spaced out. You know, right. it's not like you're not like walking in and are like, hey, everything's back to normal. At least I haven't gone to a restaurant or chosen to go to a restaurant that I feel is like wall to wall normal, like yeah. occupancy, you know? Yeah. Um, and you know, you play it safe. You just play it safe. Yeah. I'll be wearing a mask if I get on an airplane to go back home and see my mom. So For sure. I haven't worn one like walking the dog, really. I haven't either. I let that yeah. sort of go because yeah. I'm just like, one, I'm not walking. I can easily avoid people if, For sure. if need be. I love to avoid people, too. It's <laughs> Making contact with strangers is the worst part of owning a dog. <laughs> yeah. I'm just glad my dog is dot just does not is not a friend of other dogs. Oh, she'll, that's a great She'll try excuse. to go around another dog before we, like, even get close. Poppy <laughs> wants to... It depends. Dogs are, like, 50-50, but people, if there's a person walking, she's like, hey, do you want to pick me up? <laughs> I'm like, can you stop? Dot doesn't want to be picked up, but she does want people to acknowledge that she's cute. And yeah, she'll, like, yeah. she'll truly stop in her, like, in her tracks and oh almost, like, God. plant all four feet and tell someone looks at her and acknowledges her. And goes, oh. Yep, and then they're like, <laughs> and then she's like, and then I'm gonna keep going. Thank you. 
It's so like she has such a little. She's That's vain. So she's funny. fucking vain. <laughs> she, I mean, she is very cute. True, but I hate she's that it's gone to her little head. I know, I know. <laughs> what we have for this week, we're of course yeah. continuing the the first storyline of which uh, Sir Edward Grey, Witch Finder in in the service oh. of angels. We're doing we're doing issues three and four to continue that storyline and discuss that. But before we get to that, a little segment that we can't do with everyone else out there, uh, we call it, oh boy, email. Ding, ding, ding. We got a great bunch of emails that came in almost like on top of each other. So I've chosen to space them out over the next couple of episodes, just letting everybody know. So if you're like, wait, I sent that email before this one. And (laughs) you'd want, I I don't know how you would know that. And two, uh, chill out. We'll cover your email. (laughs) But I don't think anybody's ever b- bothered us about that. No, no. Uh, I think everyone understands. But this week we have two emails from the same emailer, um, uh, Ian Widener, um, and, they're, and they're great. So we'll get to the first one from him. It's titled, Oh Boy, I Finally Sent an Email. <laughs> <laughs> and Ian says, Hey, crappers. Thanks again for always having such an awesome podcast and being great, amazing people who interact as well with fellow fans. This email has been a long time coming, and I've got a few topics to talk about. The first is my realizing that, ah, crap, Hellboy died. Spoiler for Kate. Or wait, no, this isn't a spoiler. You would know this. You know this. Sorry. I first read the series almost five years ago now, and it never fully clicked for me on the first couple of read-throughs Throughout the re- of read throughout that Hellboy totally bit it at the island. Mignola and Coppola even doubled down on this information in future storylines, and I was and it was so obvious. I think because it was like I think on a first read, that island as a whole is so dreamy, and you kind of like there are like sailors there, but there are skeletons, and they're go- like it kind of blends back and forth between reality and this like dream state or whatever like other plane that Hellboy's on. So when you when I first read it, I was like, is this really happening or is this kind of a fake out? Which is not unheard of in comics. So like I completely I completely, you know, relate to not quite knowing what you're reading when you first read that one. Yes, I 100 yeah. percent agree. And you're you, it does need multiple reads because it's so dense as well about like the lore yeah, yeah. of Hellboy's world. And you're right. I think Hellboy also, we sort of, even though we haven't seen him yet before that step into another realm, maybe on the um, Macoma, maybe, uh, or not Macoma, but like when he's gone to Africa, I'm forgetting yeah. exactly, right before the island and uh, the Three Wishes and things like that. We've seen him the step in. Or whatever. Yeah, we've seen him step into the other realm a little bit and interact with the other realm. So it's not it's hard to decipher as you've already stated as well as like, is he just interacting with it or did he really die? You know what I mean? So, so I think it, I think Mignola and them probably were like, Mignola was like, I killed him. I need to make this very clear to everybody. Right. Right. (laughs) Which of course allows them to be more probably interactive with the other, the other realm of as well. Right. Right. He's like closer in tune to it now, I guess. Yeah. Even as he was traveled there. Yeah. Makes total sense. Ian says, but that particular story aspect is another aspect that makes Hellboy such a completely compelling character. Everyone has had moments of not fitting in, but feeling like you don't fit in terms of existence between life and death is such a complex emotional thing. 
not being fully alive or fully dead and just stuck in the broken parts of how your world fell apart is such a tragic story. And that's another part of Hellboy that's amazing. It's a tragedy. The story will not end well for someone who's done so much good, but is still destined to end the world. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Uh, it's like we're driving forward hoping for the best, but you're like, oh, that thing's just like at the back of your neck gun. It's bleak. Yeah. Shit's looking bleak. <laughs> and he continues, the weight of who he is and will be and could be and should be always weighs on Hellboy, which is why... Are you okay? Something fell. Oh, no. <laughs> the weight of who he is and will be and could be and should be always weighs on Hellboy. Which is why Mignola always draws him with shoulders slumped so low. Little laughy face he puts in there. <laughs> and it makes it such a beautifully tragic story. Well, I got more topics to talk about, but hey, let's spread these out and spam up your inbox. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, as always, Kate and MTC. You two are the best. Ian W. Thanks, Ian. Great email. I really like pointing out like the shoulder slump thing as a character thing. Yeah. Whether or not Mignola found that organically or purposely it's very true like he has the weight of the world on him yeah his um posture has evolved i think like yes or devolved i guess like he i feel like in general was a little more like and that's also like mignola's style changing but i think it also speaks to like the character his demeanor and his like mindset being conveyed physically in the character yes where he's like uh, exhausted, you know? Yeah, like, do how long do I have to keep dealing with this? Right, right, right. <laughs> He's old. He's like 100. Which is also like Mignola. Mignola going, how long do I have to keep writing Hellboy right, for? Right. <laughs> you got Dark Horse needs how many? I guess as long as he wants at this point. But. True. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's a great um, email from Ian. And we have one more from him that we're going to follow up before moving on. Um, this one is titled from Ian. When a ghost is haunted by, well, ghosts. <laughs> Salutations, awesome people. <laughs> Love the beginning of that email. Yeah, that's good. I've gotten all caught up on the episodes and I can't wait for more to come out. As always, y'all have been a godsend, devil send for all of my jobs that I've been listening to you guys at over last two years. The places and paychecks have changed, but you two have remained. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Wow. I know what that feels like. Yeah. What a, journey. what a journey we've taken with him. For sure. <laughs> I love it. So what I wanted to talk about was back in the Black Goddess episodes. It's so creepy at times with the way Lobster Johnson just up and possessed Johan's spirit. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. You kind of, I mean, it feels like just to be taken, like lose control. Right. I, that seems like. Yeah. Bad and terrifying. He says, I was absolutely terrified of that when I first read it. Gave me the heebie-jeebies. The heebiest of jeebies. <laughs> and it really speaks to Guy Davis's art that you can tell by the body language that something's wrong with a character with no face. For sure, yeah. Yeah. Johan has always been one of my favorite characters for this fact. But it's sad to see him getting broken down more and more. Which is why I believe it was able for jo- Johnson to take over. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, think about it. Johan lost his new body and the sense of identity that he had with that and his hometown. In common ghost stories, spirits are able to move on after their homes or bones are properly buried or destroyed. So in a metatextual sense, Johan has died to the world yet again. 
It's this state of uncertainty and fluidity that has made our hollow man even more of a shell of himself, leaving room for a more purpose-driven poltergeist to pilot his spirit. And the cliffhanger it leaves on, leaves on, we don't know how Lobster Johnson has done this, and I don't actually remember which it, which is for the whole last paragraph, and it left me rushing for the next volume to learn more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So as Kate hasn't done the same thing. I, uh, I... <laughs> or myself. I haven't read it. <laughs> also, if an ancient race of monks is the reason behind yetis, what are sa- Sasquatches from the Pacific Northwest? A different thing and breed entirely or just tourists? I don't know. Just something to think about. <laughs> Can't wait to hear <laughs> more f- for you, from you guys. Ian W. Yeah, thank you. I always feel like Sasquatches and Bigfoots are like a brown or tan color and yetis are like snow yes like white it's like a snow leopard or a jungle leopard yeah i think it's similar to bears like it's a polar bear and like a grizzly or a black bear right that's how i always think of it yeah they're like cousins i guess is what you call them they're related yeah that's i i'm definitely in the same way could you mate a grizzly bear with a polar bear could could that happen I feel like some creepy scientist has tried Somebody's, it. Some <laughs> idiot has done that, right? Forced or a polar tried. bear to mate with a black bear. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. But I, yeah, I mean, tell us. Sorry. Anybody out there know about that? It's a dumb thought in my head. I'll have to Google it later. That's like one of the dumb things that you Google and then like later on your history, you're like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Like, okay. <laughs> Why am I looking up the breeding of bears? Why am I thinking about this? Yeah. <laughs> I really do like all these thoughts, though, about Johan and like. Yeah, I think that's a great point that like Johan already was this, even in life, this kind of like vessel or somebody to like channel other spirits through. And then, yeah, he continued to kind of lose more versions of himself throughout the BPRD story where he like. Gets another body and loses that. He loses his hometown, like Ian said. And it's, uh, yeah, he's kind of more lost or more like, you know, just like a a shadow of himself, which was already a fucking shadow of his, like, when he was a a living person. Totally. Yeah. I agree. Which I guess would make him super susceptible to, like, getting possessed by another goat. Yeah. And, well, I mean, we'll definitely... In the near future, uh, next season to be precise, yeah. uh, we will uh, we'll definitely find out the continuation in King of Fear and find out if, does he have to battle off Lobster Johnson? What's that going to be like? Yeah. I don't know. Internally, like what's going on? And what's Lobster Johnson as a ghost who died by fighting Nazis? What's his, what's his end game? You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> it's a lot of questions that we will answer I at a future time. I still think he's date. like a good guy, but he's like, I can see that being like, Creepy, where it's like, to what end will, you know, how far will yes. you go to do what you think is the right thing to do? You know, I guess that's that's kind of the question overall, isn't it? Yeah, I think that Lobster Johnson is definitely that of where he will cross. I think Lobster Johnson is the hero that crosses the line to get the, For sure. the greater good done. And others are like, whoa, bud. <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> well, those, those are both great emails. Yeah, appreciate you emailing. Yeah, thank you, Ian. And for all those out there that you are sitting on an email or want to email us again, remember we welcome them no matter what. And you can email us at awcrapahellboypodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. 
Um, but that was a great segment of oh boy email. But let's move on to talking about issues slash chapter three and four in In the Search of Angels, Sir Edward Grey, Witchfinder. Sir Edward Grey, Witchfinder. Yeah, In the Service of Angels, written by Mike Mignola, illustrated by Ben Stenbeck, colored by Dave Stewart, lettered by Clem Robbins, and edited by Scott Alley. This was originally published between July and November of 2009. And yeah, we kind of left off where Edward Grey is investigating these murders uh, where people are either totally devoid of all of their blood or (laughs) (laughs) mostly there's like a weird thing with blood going on with all these bodies, which eventually leads him to meet the captain who introduces him to, I guess she's like a medium, Mary Wolf, who can kind of use her life force to give uh, like give a physical form to Zora. What would you say? I guess like just like a ghost who can speak to other ghosts or like commune commune with other ghosts. Yeah. It's it's yeah. it's it's like a really it's like unlike because we just talked about Johan. Johan's somebody that like was able to exit his own body and his own ectoplasm was his own entity and exist. Yeah. Whereas this is interesting that where Mary has she Gives she like instead of Johan having his taken over, Mary willingly gives hers up. In like an, uh, it's like a understanding that it's like a temporary thing, and like once Zora is no longer needed or leaves or whatever, enters this other spiritual plane again, then that that life force will go back into Mary, and she like resumes being a human. Yes. Yeah, I had something I wanted to talk about very briefly. So um, this moment happens on page 57 of the omnibus. It's when he okay. meets the moment where Mary becomes an ephoral form. And at the top of the page, the captain says to Edward, he says, you've never seen anything like this before. And he says, I've attended seances, whispers and table banging a floating trumpet once. But no, nothing like this. So the floating trumpets, the only thing that caught my eye, and here's why. This is a very dumb. I was like, I wonder if that floating trumpet is a reference to the Haunted Mansion at Disneyland. Because when you go through, there's a part in the Haunted Mansion where you go through and there's a seance happening where there's a head in a, in a ball. Yeah. And one of the things floating yeah. around the room is a trumpet. That's always been the detail of that room is the floating trumpet. Oh my God. And as I read that, I was like, I wonder if, Mignola is referencing the floating trumpet, the haunted mansion in Disneyland. That's all I got to say. That's so funny. That's all I want to say. It's been driving me nuts since we last recorded to talk about that they floating trumpet be. being a reference to haunted mansion, possibly. They very well might be, dude. Did you know um, <laughs> the woman in that crystal ball, Madame Leota? I'm like looking up her specific name. But I watched this like thing on Disney Plus that talked about like she was like a, a woman who like worked at Disney she like did a bunch of other she was like a designer and stuff but she like that's her face though like that they I love that in that yeah it's and really then they cool. replaced it briefly I think maybe with Rosie maybe was it Rosie Perez or somebody else not Rosie no it wasn't way. Rosie Perez I, I I this is me being bad um what's the actress that's from bound Gina Gershon not Gina I think they replaced her with um, Jennifer Tilly once so Jennifer who was Tilly? No who way. Was haunted, the movie Haunted Mansion starring Eddie Murphy came out. 
Oh, and she was I in think that? Je- yeah, Jennifer Tilly plays Madame Leota. So for a brief moment, they put her face in there. It didn't last long because I think everybody's like, what the fuck yeah, are you I'm doing? I'm sure people were like, no, don't yeah. mess with this thing. I remember writing it once and going, what the fuck? What? Like they changed the head? <laughs> and then it didn't last long Crazy. At all. Um, yeah, it's the it's the head of the face of Eleanor Audley. It's well, cool I'm shit. just saying, I think there's a reference to the hunt, one of the greatest Disneyland rides of all time right there in our issue of oh wait he was oh sorry 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 he was planning to use the face of eleanor oddly but yeah never mind all okay. good sorry there's like everybody looks shit up about this it's pretty neat I, yeah we should all look it up but i just wanted to say i'm glad there's a, quite possibly a reference to the haunted mansion in which find i bet you're right <laughs> i bet you're right that's funny she so yeah, zora's like a ghostly medium who can commune with spirits and gray is hoping that she will be able to kind of find out more about Blackwood, the laborer who was hired to get to like dispose of the bones that this crew brought back from a hyperborean city. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> what a sentence. <laughs> and like while Zora's around, she also tells Edward Gray that like a wraith is behind like this kind of like imposing phantom follows Edward Gray around and that's pretty uh ominous. Yeah. <laughs> With Acheron written on its brow. And then, yeah, she, uh, Zora is able to find the ghost of Blackwood. And he states that he threw the bones in a river. And at that point, the creature, the like vampire creature that has been fighting them for the first two issues, mm-hmm. attacks them. And yeah, it's not a pretty sight. He like totally bites into Mr. Salt. And, like, kind of hisses at the crew, and that was the end of two. <laughs> Three opens up, like, right where we left off with the creature having, like, totally chomped Salt's whole shoulder. Like, his arm looks like it's hanging on by a thread. Yeah, the gang basically tries to attack the creature. The vampire, Edward Gray, like, grabs out his sword that he's used pre in previous issues that has pretty much, like, worked as a deterrent for the creature. But this time, it just smacks his, like, the sword aside and knocks Edward Gray on his ass, basically. <laughs> he also looks, like, redder, or is he, like, more in the light? I don't know. Doesn't he look like a brighter red, the creature? I think because... I know, I think you're right, because... I because think he's, he is, like, fueled by blood. I think he's fueled by blood, and also he yeah. is a little more in the light, because when he does the crunch yeah. on uh, the whatever his name is, it gets right, real right. bad in the last... the end of the cliffhanger. He is... He's only getting, like, a little bit of underlight, Right, and then after right. he fucking bleeds him out, he's like bright red. So I yeah. think you're right. He he's definitely redder. <laughs> he's looking way redder. He seems very interested in the closet where Mary has been like holed up while she's um, summoning Zora. He kind of jumps onto that little closet, like that little booth, you know. Yeah. And is shaking it. Uh, the captain comes up with a sword and stabs him in the side. And while he's distracted, while the Vampires distracted, attacking the captain. Gray runs up behind him and just give him gives him like a couple. I always love a good um, chalk sound effect, like <laughs> chalk of like because it's a sword, but it's also like a double sided forked tongue kind of sword. So he like Edward Gray like just hacks into the back of this creature like an axe almost. Oh yeah, as he's like reciting, you know, he's like, "Have mercy upon us, miserable sinners!" Like. <laughs> You know, although I really love the captain when he is attacking 
is saying, you know, just like cursing this creature. Come about, hellhound, pestilent boil, man crab. (laughs) (laughs) Screaming at him like, you know, the worst cursing you can like say to a vampire. It's just really great. I love that detail. (laughs) And yeah, so the vampire's like, he's getting fucked up. He's all, but he's still knocking everybody around on the ground. Edward Gray finally holds up the sword in front of, like, he's kind of defending the little vestibule thing that Mary's in and continues to, you know, say holy words and stuff and finally is able to deter the vampire creature, which scuttles away across the ceiling and (laughs) hops out into the hallway and and runs away. The walls are like, yeah, yeah. Right? (laughs) It seems like it's finally, maybe it's like depleted. It almost looks... I don't know if this is like the, it trying like them trying to fit it into the panel, but as it loses blood, it seems to get smaller. That's what I take from it because uh-huh. he gets. A, I mean, those big chunks that he takes out of him make him like blood. He's dripping all over the place. Right, right. He coughs up blood. <laughs> yeah, he's not looking good, and he's bleeding as he leaves. There's there's blood all over the room when he leaves, but the only human who's taken a big big hit is salt who we see you know he it's like they're like let's get a surgeon but it's too late and the captain and um the fuck is this other guy's name oh my god the brother yeah the brother to mary oh you mean the twin yeah bacon salt and bacon so bacon is like this big galoot but he's like crying over salt which is very sad because the two of them in such like a short time you know We've seen them for like an issue and a half, basically. Yeah. And but they're like they're they were very quickly like established who these characters are. So it's like it's always I think it's always sweet to see like the big guy cry, you know? Yeah. He's like sad over the loss of salt. Mary's a okay. She's like a little shaken, but she's fine. <laughs> Her shitty brother who is yeah, he like a lights up a cigar. He's that. covered with blood. <laughs> yeah, he's just kind of an asshole. He's like, wow, this is going to cost me so much to get out of the wallpaper. <laughs> Lighten up a stogie. Edward Gray lets her know like, hey, he seemed dead set to get at you. I don't know why. And she's like, yeah, I do because I know where the bones are. Let's go get them. Ooh. And, you know, cut to this huge machine operating with like chains going like for me, I didn't realize what it was until the next few pages. But I didn't either. It just yeah. looks like some wild contraption, almost steampunky, yeah. but not like silly looking. It looks like a like a, a current at the times machine. It's a plausible thing. Yeah. yeah, it's like chugging along while they're kind of like dra- you know checking the bottom of this river. And that's when Gray and Mary talk about, he's like, hey, I was thinking like your condition while you were in the cabinet uh, looked a lot like Lord Wellington's body when he died. I think that this creature is was feeding on his life force and that's how he could appear as a tangible physical form, you know, like feeding off his life energy and like gnawing on him. And to become like more powerful physically, he has to feed off of a physical form uh, like blood. Like he's yeah. not just like sucking out his the a person's spirit anymore. He's like ripping them apart and drinking their blood. And the operators of this machine are like mad ass hatters. Like they're like <laughs> these two are fucking nuts. The other guy's like and him working for the government. It's sad. Like you know they think that they're just like two crazy people, <laughs> which is funny. They're not like quieting their conversation enough. 
to not be overheard too. And yeah, so Edward Gray's kind of just like hypothesizing like, okay, this thing's feeding on feeding on the life force and then also the blood of people as it needs. So it's like a big sponge because it doesn't have yeah. bones. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like some kind of like other, it's in some other state basically. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, and it's specifically going for the people who took its bones. So, and Mary tells him, yeah, because it's not a, be- a dumb beast, it knows its enemy. And... Yeah, that's kind of like the big thing of like how they might get to overcome it or destroy it or whatever. It's like, okay, maybe if we get these bones, we can like physically hurt it if we have like whatever physical parts of it (laughs) that remain. And yeah, it's afraid of its own bones. And at that, we hear like the kachunk and like uh, the movement of the like levers of this machine as it pulls out a guy who is in this enormous like diving suit. Yeah. A very, a very like Mignola y kind of like suit with uh, a lot of like metal uh, bolts and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, it's really cool. Oh shit, we didn't talk about the cover. That's all right. I mean, the cover is this specifically. Yeah, like, it's this guy. You look at the cover and you're like, which I mean, we, we can definitely pause and go back and look at. It's yeah. interesting that it. It's several pages in before the cover has its connection. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, if you were to pick this up, you'd be like, this is a cool cover. But you're like, I wonder what this is about. What the hell's going on here? Yeah, it's it's this guy underwater with, like, fish surrounding him. I like that the little fish kind of follow the, you're like, you're like, um, Mignola's kind of, like, black background, the break in his background that he does yeah. often. The fish are kind of, like, swimming around this figure in the scuba suit. And then in the foreground, we see the bones of the creature. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's very cool. It's a solid Mignola. It looks very good. And then he's it's got keep- like a little hook hand and it's like the little like air, uh, air tube going down to the helmet kind of follows that same diagonal line. Yeah. Yeah. It's and really cool. And he's very much sticking. This is like the third cover that's very much sticking, sticking to keeping the subject center page. Yeah, yeah. And it feels so heavy, especially like with these fish surrounding it, seeming like so light and like flitting around him. The like figure seems really heavy. It's cool. It's a good cover. And they changed the Witchfinder logo cover or uh, 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 like the color. They'll change the title of the color to fit the art, which is cool. And it's fun that he was like, I just like that contraption i'm gonna have that be the highlight and it's really almost like a plot point that's just getting one thing to the next right it's It's not like like a main it's not yeah it helps but yeah (laughs) it's not any kind of like main character or whatever you could tell mignola's like i just think that thing's cool i'll draw it (laughs) right and it is cool he's got he's got the hook hands yeah um these like elongated kind of like arm tools I love when he gets pulled this when the scuba diver gets pulled out of the river. There's like a little crab flying off to the side <laughs> and he found it. He found the bag that was thrown in there with the bones of this creature. And Edward Gray asked the scuba diver, any trouble down there? Trouble. Were you expecting trouble? Like, <laughs> like, why didn't you tell me? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, like what would go wrong? I'm just in a scuba suit. Maybe <laughs> there would be a leak. But he's like, yeah, never mind. And they like he and Mary continue basically just talking about the creature to the confusion of everyone else there who like works yeah. for the scuba company or whatever. Yeah. yeah, and I like that they haven't solved it. They're just like in the speculation sort yeah. of conversation where she's like, maybe it can't go out during the day. He's like, 
well, maybe it's just weak. You know what I mean? And like, right. but there's not like a definitive of like, what the fuck is this vampire? What's its rules? But you can, it's, it's cool too. You see them both having this conversation. Like they're, they're like contemporaries. They're yeah. on the same page there. You like, not only do you as the reader learn more information, that's probably true about the vampire. You also are seeing that they have, you know, they have like a good back and forth and they're, in agreement with each other. They're like, they have like chemistry and stuff too. Then he's approached by this guy who says he's a representative interested in buying the bones. He hands him a card, but it's only uh, like an eye. Like the like eye Egypt- of raw Egyptian eye. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the captain sees him and it's like, kind of scares him off. Like get the hell out of here. And <laughs> he's like, yeah, that's not a gentleman. He like wants the bones because he is a member of the Heliopic Brotherhood of Ra, and then shows you like a nice little panel of all of them, all the Heliopic Brotherhood, like hanging out, you know, like rich guy stuff, putting on masks and having a cult meeting with yeah. like cigars and, you know. Cigars, brandy, and Egyptian artifacts. Yeah, an Egyptian, like, eyes wide shut looking situation. <laughs> You know, and they need these bones. But it seems like the Heliopic Brotherhood is gaining enough, like, power or traction or whatever that it's actually, like, the like the prime minister is, like, paying attention to them. Like, they're kind of a force to be reckoned with at this point, even though they're not just, like, a bunch of kooks in, a, in like, smoking jackets and, like, right. you know, like, ibis helmets or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So they're kind of walking around and they're like, where do we go next? Mary points to this poster for the church of the inner world. I like how the artist did this panel too, because it potentially could be like so busy that you don't know like where to look. But so like Mary pointing towards the poster and it's the only poster that has like legible script on it. Like yeah. for the whole thing, like there's legible script in other posters but it's not so like all of the fine print is there as just like lines or like squiggly kind of lines but it's like enough that it's like okay clearly this is a wall full of busy busy posters but they still are able to show you in a very clear way like this is your focal point this is what you should be looking at this is what mary's pointing at i just thought it was well executed for like something that could be a mess yeah i agree because like if you do go in and be like well i want to put every detail in there we would be lost as yeah. the reader. But that being said, so as if you're reading it, you're reading it fast, you're like, okay, so they're going to the church of the inner world, flip the page. But if you linger on this, there's a lot of fun details. Yeah. Like this like old timey boxer, a little baby shaving its face. Yeah, that's so weird, the little shaving. <laughs> you know, <head. laughs> yeah. Probably like, oh, our razors are really good. And like just like a lot of like fun little details to look at if you care to linger on it. Um same with like the rest of the that like how they're depicting England. There's like street names and, you know, signs for the Dutch, like for Dutch rum and all this stuff. There's like a lot of other fun stuff that you could look at. But yeah, so they head towards the church of the inner world. Mary's like, I don't know what's compelling me to go here, whether it's, I got a feeling it might be the creature compelling me to do it, which would be spooky. And once they get to the church, they realize that's probably what's happening. That all of the congregation is there. And they're dead. They look as though they've been sapped of their life force and their blood. <laughs> yeah, that's the, so, the double I think duty. we know who Oof. done did that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're all like all slumped over with their wrists and their necks 
seeming to have been like gnawed on. I, I love too, like I think we talked about it a little, but the teeth of this vampire are really neat. It's like more rodenty than you see yeah. a lot of depictions of vampires, but it's like that makes sense to me. It's it's cool. Yeah, it's like almost um, like it can use those two big buck rodent teeth to just gnaw and get into the flesh. Yeah. And like it yeah. bursts it open and then it just is like And the way that they show the um the bite marks too looks like that. There's yeah. not like two clean holes. It's like an it's like, you know, it like kind of chewed on it, gnawed on it. Yeah. Very much like a rodent. I thought that was cool. Like the bottom teeth are just mostly for grip. <laughs> right. It's bad. Oof. So they but they have these like raw cuts, but they also have bandages on their wrists that they're noticing. And it's like, oh, that's odd. Yeah. And then as Mary is kind of investigating, she's looking up at this like hanging, as we'll see, like a bisected globe. Mm-hmm. She's kind of checking that out. And then we have sort of over that this uh like a narration of someone else we don't know who yet. And I looked down into the earth and saw green fields and a shining land and a golden city. And above, suspended in the center of the earth, I saw a second sun and knew that the inner world would be one of eternal day, no more darkness. For in the end, all shadows and all mysteries will be no more. And that's the words of Reverend Bloom, who we saw in the previous issue, like the vampire approached him and he was like, Neat. This is good. Yeah. <laughs> and as as that's kind of being said, Mary is looking at this like half a globe that is like it's cut open. And instead of like, you know, there's no like layers of rock and stuff like that beneath this, the, the crust. There's no like core. Instead, it's like it seems to be this like inverted world where there's like land and sea, like a map yeah. on the inside with like a hanging sun a hanging like sphere in the middle um that's suspended in the middle odd what a weird design to discover about it's cool it's cool i guess this is kind of like i mean i never read journey to the center of the earth or anything like that that's but it makes me think of stuff like that same or like sort of like hollow earth kind of shit going on and then mary hears rum like the like moaning of of reverend bloom she goes in to this other room and sees him lying down there. He's like, uh, I thought it was an angel. Okay. <laughs> like he's kind of like explaining, I got my flock together because I thought that God sent this angel, the creature, the vampire to, you know, show us this kind of like paradise that I've been writing about underneath the earth's core. And he just needed some energy. So it was like, okay, congregation, let's get together and give this guy some blood. And then he's kind of like regretting telling his followers to do that. And to add, I was wrong about the teeth. It's the, so the way he's designed is his top, his top jaw would be like the grip. And then the bottom would fucking slice in those two big teeth. I'll be like gnawing like, Ah. (laughs) brutal. Yeah. It's like a big, uh, nasty sort of, yeah, just a big rodent, like big rat teeth. It's cool. And so the reverence just kind of like relaying what happened. It's like, okay, so instead of leading us to this promised land or whatever, this guy drank all of our blood. He (laughs) killed them all, saved saved me for last. And as he took my blood, he let me know the truth. In my youth, I had visions of Hyperborea, land of the first people. I saw her in, in her glory and her fall. The ancients misused their power, worshiped false gods, and brought about their own ruin. The survivors fled. Some used their powers to leave the world. So, like, all stuff that we've kind of seen before. Yeah. With, like, a depiction of the Black Goddess and, like, 
the ancient Hyperborean city. And then, so Bloom thought, the rest descend in his vision, the rest descended into the inner world. Shambhala, a new garden of Eden, but my vision was a lie. The devil showed me an underground hell where those ancients built war machines that would one day rise up and conquer the world. So we see like the kind of like Hyperboreans or like, you know, the guys who have been like hanging down there and just building those big kind of like crustacean looking robotic kind of creatures that have been like also while they're fighting, evolving into more like organic looking creatures. Well, what we are seeing too, which I find is interesting is like, so our entry point of these creatures, these, um, um, subterranean like Hyporian creatures we're like oh this race built these machines they're now going to take over what yeah. we're getting now is this in- in- more complex story of like Hyperboreans created them yeah I, I really like to kind of like clarify <laughs> yeah. yeah it's like it reminded me of like like Saruman making like, yes or Orakai and shit like that, like that kind of thing where they're basically farmed. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's what we they're see like here. Created and farmed. They're literally farmed so, yeah. in lava. <laughs> Hyperboreans are like creating these creatures to tend to the machines, and they're enslaved, and they rose up and killed the Hyperborean, like more human-like race of people. And then one of these guys, one of these um, creatures, ascended up into just like above the surface ran into some like prehistoric man um savage man he says and they fill him full of arrows and that's where where he died and that's where our explorers in the beginning found the bones oh boy and they're like hey where did he go he's in the cellar and then he starts the (laughs) vampire starts like growling from behind a door that the captain is standing in front of and it's bad news He's going to come out. Yeah. And getting, his growling gets louder and louder. And Edward mindlessly left his new his new weapon to fight this thing down in the, among the congregation in its case. Right. It's like out <laughs> in another room. Yeah. So Edward's realizing like, oh, fuck the sword. It's like it's in a different room. Oh, shit. Oh. Um, and that's the end of chapter three. That was a, a great um, chapter. Um, yeah, it was cool. It just like gives it clarifies a lot of stuff about the Hyperboreans and why there seem to be two different like races of people in these stories and, and everything. Yeah. I really like that addition because I love shedding that light on for us as readers, because it's good. Yeah. It's a good use of multiple storylines in a universe. Cause I think you can get yeah. bloated with a lot of stuff like Marvel. I love Marvel, you know, but like there's so much going on that I'm like, how many issues do I have to, fucking pick up to understand it's <laughs> right like it's like i'm in the middle of the the hell the hellfire gala and i'm like okay i'm gonna wait till i have them all to read it and <laughs> but like but this seems like such a cool and organized way to be like we've introduced these creatures to the bprd readers and majority probably everybody that is signed on to the hellboy universe is reading it all but so we're just like think they're just another crazy villain that's something they have to do but I love in the Witchfinder, it's like, yeah, we have his own story going on. But to slyly then be like, well, it's also related. And we're going to give you a little more information. It's nice. And yeah. It's fun to give it to us. And who knows when our main characters of BPRD, Abe, Kate, and then we'll eat, if they'll even be informed of this history. 
We don't know. But I love that we're ironically like sort of dramatic irony with the history of the world is given to us as the readers that we're like, those guys fucking had it hard. That's why they're fucking being assholes now. (laughs) Yeah. Like they, they were enslaved and now they're, they rose up and now they want, they don't want to live down there no more. (laughs) Yeah. So it's very cool and it's complex and I love all that. And then, yeah. And just sheds a little light on like, why do these guys all look a little different in these stories and stuff? Yeah. Um, I think it's really cool. Yeah. And Um, I like that they look different here. Like Ben Stenbeck is of course of a different artist than Guy Davis, but you could also explain like they've evolved over the years. And I like that. Right. Or they seem to change depending on like, well, I guess this guy's like a ghost. Yeah. (laughs) But I don't know if his physical form would change, but yeah, his, ghostly spiritual form changes gets bigger and more powerful the more like blood or life force that he gets that shit's cool chapter four i really like this cover i'll remember to talk about the cover now before we get into the episode it looks a little different in the collected edition that i'm reading than it does at like on the wiki with the actual like title and everything Mm -hmm. but like in the collected edition it's colored and it still has like this watercolor texture but it's all like sort of a sepia tone, kind of a like washed out um, brown. Yeah. Which isn't, it's like still pleasant. But I do like in the actual published cover that the like disembodied arms and hands holding some sort of like pokey electrical instruments that look very similar to like Osiris Club kind of instruments to me. Yes. Um, very but they're like, they're like flying in front of the vampire creature in this like cool kind of crisscross sort of a composition. And I like that there's like a little hint of color to this guy, especially like his mouth is bright red and his eyes are glowing yellow. His ears are a little bat like to me in this too. And I like that the composition is also like an inversion of what Mignola usually does, which is like color in the corners and then a black, like solid black sort of plane behind whatever the figure is. But in in this, the black is covering up the corners and you have like the lighter color slashing through in this diagonal um, sort of composition. Yeah. And illuminating the creature. Yeah. Like the energy is almost either coming from him or it's consuming him is what I more so than what in regards to the story of what's going to take place. As we'll see, it's like some kind of like smoke or of uh, some chemical that they like spray at it. And we also, you know... After having read it, we can look at these hands and know, okay, whoever was holding these like little torture devicey looking spear instruments, um, you know, this doesn't shake out too good for them. <laughs> yeah. And also one is literally grasping the eye of Ra, the like Heliopic Brotherhood of Ra yeah, like, necklace. Those I was like, okay, so they might try something, but it looks like that shit's not going to be good for them. <laughs> Yeah, but I really like it. I like this little figure, too. I agree. It's solid. So, yeah. And so, for same kind of deal, it starts right up, kind of like exactly where we left off. I, I like that. So, like, they're told that the creature's in a cellar. The captain is right in front of a door, and he goes, cellar? Where's the, you know, where's the cellar? It's, like, right up your ass. <laughs> yeah. This is bad news. The creature, like, busts in through the door, but it kind of, like, bashes past the captain. Like, kind of moves the captain aside, but not, like, smashing him into the wall, killing him or anything. Yeah. He's, like, going right right for Gray. Mary says, no, Edward, and chucks the bag full of the creature's bones at him. 
<laughs> which is uh, well, <laughs> yeah. the vampire's like dismayed by this, cries out seemingly in pain as the bones collide with him, making him more whole. I guess is what it is, is implied. I guess yeah, they'll kind of talk about this a little right. later in the episode, but he. He doesn't want to touch his bones. Don't he doesn't touch want your his bones. bones to be found. It's a little kid's game. It's um, a new kid's children's game. Don't touch don't your bones. Don't touch your own bones. <laughs> That's a morbid game. <laughs> yeah, this guy doesn't like his bones. He busts through the wall. At this point, he looks enormous to me. Like, they show him in comparison to these other, to, like, humans walking around outside. He looks enormous. He looks like the Hulk or something now. His size is huge. Edward Gray goes to chase him. He only has his gun. He doesn't have a sword. Captain's like, hey, wait, go get that club of yours. Edward Gray's like, no time, you get it, follow me. And he runs out <laughs> and is like, where did it go? The people like point towards where he went. Edward Gray runs down a little alleyway, but somebody points like an enormous revolver at his head and is like, drop the gun. And then it, it's a masked guy. But Edward Gray is like, hey, I know you're from the Heliopic Brotherhood. Uh, it's obvious. You're wearing this that raw <laughs> right on your chest. <laughs> Yeah, you've got that right there. The Heliopic Brotherhood guy is like, oh, well, you're dumb. You're following around Bible stories and fairy tales and stuff. But we're on to the real shit. We're like on to like whatever happened prehistory, pre-humanity. And then he quotes something from the Heliopic Brotherhood of Ra. <laughs> to which like Edward Gray is just like madness. You know, he's just talking about, okay. And it was like in the beginning when Amun-Ra, with his great eye, looked into the abyssal waste of the, of the nun and saw it and had an understanding of it. Edward Gray goes, madness. No, sir. It's science. <laughs> I love that reply. So, yeah. <laughs> it's just kind of like, you know, a conspiracy theorist or something being like, this is science. I have researched it. Where it's like, okay, well, does it make a ton of sense? Yeah, and I like the next um, line that uh, Mignola wrote here for him. I love this. The electric eye of science shall lay bare all mysteries. It's like, these guys are yeah, nutty. Yeah, so funny. <laughs> I love that, though. Me That's too. like, it's a very, it's, um, these guys are like so comic booky in a really fun way. You know, like they're like just fun villains. Uh, the other day, Jess and I were watching the X-Men animated series from the 90s. But before we turn that on, we try to turn on like, it's like, Wolverine and the X-Men or something. It's like a more contemporary um, version yeah. of the X-Men, like an animated X-Men story. And I'm sure it's good or whatever, but it like starts off very melancholy where Wolverine is leaving the Academy. Classic. And like, yeah, classic shit. He loves to do that. Rogue is like upset and crying and it's like very melancholy, but in a way that's like less like the delivery is like more grounded, but in a way that's like. Both of us were like, okay, we're done with this. Let's turn on <laughs> yeah. animated series. Because animated series is like, from the 90s, is just fucking bonkers. And they say like, it, it'll be like, it'll be like uh, previously on the X-Men. It'll be like, I told you to take his brain. Like the first <laughs> line is like a robot screaming about someone's brain. And we were like, all right, this is the shit. Like, this is what we want yeah. out of X-Men. And they have their serious um, moments because that show is very oh melodramatic. Oh, man, it's so dramatic. It's so dramatic. <laughs> it's like a, yeah, it's like a, a soap opera or something. 100%. But with like superpowers. All the relationship stuff between Wolverine and Jean Grey and Cyclops is so intense. <laughs> That's what we, we watched the first episode of the second season. And it's like, yeah, Scott and Jean are getting married and Wolverine's like having a dream about fighting them and shit. It's 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 off the wall. 
But anyway, that's I like that line for the same reason. You yeah. Know? The electric eye of science shall lay bare all mysteries as he's got a gun pointed at our hero, you know, <laughs> and it's science will tame your beast tame. And then he sees the other members of the Heliopic Brotherhood that are like wearing gas masks and armor, this like kind of plate armor on one arm. And they have hooked up these electrified spears and they have the vampire cornered in a uh, like a little courtyard. And Edward Gray's like, you don't think you're going to take that thing alive, do you dummies? <laughs> and for a second, it looks like they're going to. They're shocking it and like it kind of collapses onto the ground and then they're spraying it like, you know, like a um, fire extinguisher style kind of a thing. Like, yeah, spraying it with some sort of gas mixture. That they all have the gas masks for. And for a minute, it's like, oh, okay, you guys it. did it. <laughs> yeah. Now I believe you were asked to come up with a fair price for that creature's bones. Edward Gray's like, I'm still thinking about it. Um, a little dry humor. Yeah, a little dry humor. Oh, you think you're smart. I want, oh. And like the, you know, the masked heliopic brother sees one of the other brotherhood like emerging from the smoke. But then it's his, just his torso, and it gets thrown in, onto the ground in front of him. What? Um, yeah, splut as his guts like fly out. It's great. I love that. I love awesome. that one because you have you have like the ripped, the like torn um, hose. It's like the guy who was spraying the gas everywhere. Yeah. So the little hose from his gas contraption <laughs> is kind of flapping along with his guts. It's a great detail. I love that a lot. Edward Gray uses that distraction to his advantage to knock the revolver out of the masked Heliopic brother's hand. Damn you, Gray. Damn you to hell as he escapes from Just runs away. the courtyard. <laughs> mm-hmm. And as he's saying that, Edward Gray looks over his shoulder and like the enormous mouth of this creature is like looming right behind him. And he turns to see the vampire looking very, um, you know, simian now as like Mignola... And company love to do, like, you know, an enormous gorilla body. Yeah, he grew. He must have really eaten the shit out of these guys. Yeah, <laughs> right. Those were, yeah, that congregation was nutritious because he's huge now. Yeah, he drank all their, he drank like 40 people's blood or whatever. So he's he's looking very strong. Well, I think he's even bigger since, even because he just, the aftermath of these, this, the helio Oh, yeah, and they're... Yeah, they're like spirits and their blood. It's so wild. Yeah, blood is like now dripping from his mouth as though he just like devoured all those guys. <laughs> and he's like walking on his knuckles like a big gorilla. And Edward Gray looks at him and he looks, he makes like kind of a menacing face, but then does it like a and turns and walks away. Very like gorilla like yeah, in that way too. Very Congo esque. That's all mm-hmm. I can think about is like yeah. the gorillas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So for whatever reason, he chooses not to kill Gray in this moment. Maybe he can see that he's not trying to, like, capture him or whatever the fuck. Yeah, but for whatever reason, the vampire kind of walks off. He tosses a a huge wooden cart aside and then smashes (laughs) through a doorway and leaves. And once he leaves, the, like, the rest of this fog kind of and smoke disperses. And we see the mayhem that was caused. It's, like, chunks of Heliopic Brothers sliding off of the roof and like dudes up on a, a like 
porch, uh, not porches, fucking balcony banisters, balconies. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there's a guy up there who's <laughs> just shoulders and head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's not even decapitated. He's like the, his shoulders. I, I I don't even know what you would call that. But he's yeah, it just ripped to shreds. It's a fucking mess. One guy seems to have survived, but he's just like staring at the rest of his brothers. Yeah. Mary and the captain have finally caught up. They've got the bones and the sword. I guess that might have deterred him a little because they kind of show up as as the vampire creature like walks away. Yeah. But yeah, they're like, uh, yeah, you all right? Apparently I am. And he's like, okay, so you guys are fine? Okay, great. And then it cuts to them back at the pub. You know, just taking a break. Like, yeah, they're like, we got to talk about this. There's a lot of fun, like, deta- like city details here. I like that there's a place called Molly and Cox, and then <laughs> right across the street is, like, another a sign with just a rooster head on it. And I was like, I bet that place is also called Cox yeah. or something, you know? Like, just a, kind of funny. Ale, gin, chips, pies. The Admiral's Teeth is the name of the pub where they go. <laughs> the Admiral's, welcome to the Admiral's Teeth. It's very fun. It's like, uh, I've only been to London one time, but it seems like... It would be, I don't know, like it makes me think of like, in like horror movies set in the UK, there's, you know, yeah the slaughtered lamb or whatever. Oh, I recently, did I talk about this movie, Boys from County Hell? You've talked about, about it about now, maybe this is your third okay. or fourth time. Shut the hell up, really? <laughs> God damn it. Listen, on, I it's have on Shutter, I believe. probably <laughs> some sort of brain damage. Uh, yeah, it's on, uh, anyway, they have a, you know, they have a funny named pub, whatever. Okay. Um. And you get, like, some nice, like, kind of, like, rabble. You get, like, the crowd sort of, like, talking in the background so you can kind of see how the rest of the town is dealing with all this crazy vampire shit. Literally, like, there's a kid selling newspapers. Horrible murders. Crazy buggers done to death in the church. Read about it. Vampire at large. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. extra, extra. God, to be alive when there, somebody would publish about a vampire and have, like, a... a uh... A newsy yell out, extra, extra vampire in the city. Yeah, yeah. I want to be alive. Like, I guess I'll buy this one. Yeah, so it's like a super crowded pub. You know, you got like drunks talking. The locals are talking about the vampires. Oh, it's so crazy. They're talking Hollow Earth. Uh, They're talking about all kinds of (laughs) strange stuff going down. Yeah. One guy just says, doom. (laughs) Uh, You know. So, like, people are on edge a little bit, but they're still drinking. Edward Gray gives Mary a beer, and they're just kind of, like, talking and being pleasant towards each other. She's like, oh, my brother, he's an asshole, but he took care. He basically raised us after my parents died, you know? And he's like, yeah, but he, like, sells your gifts or whatever. And she's like, yeah, but, you know, we're choosing this path and stuff like that. She's like, what's your deal? You don't seem like a Londoner either. He's like, I'm not. You know, I grew up on this, uh, like... Like a more suburban or, or um like rural area, and his dad was like a game like a game master. What the fuck? Where does it say what he was? Game, game warden. warden yeah. There we go. I said game master like he's playing D and D or something. <laughs> yeah. So like some trouble happened there. We're not sure exact. We're not given like a ton of details. We just see like some sort of attacked or slaughtered cow. Yeah, and that's and led to him knowing. Covered in blood. I mean, it can only in- I can only imply from what he's saying is like. It led to him, his own gifts, right? And his like... Right. He says, something happened when I was a boy. Trouble. I got myself mixed up in uh, mixed up in it. And when it was done, I'd gained a certain reputation. Uh, word of that reached certain gentlemen here. 
They were having some trouble, so they sent for me to come and help, and I did. Word of that reached Master Disraeli and eventually Her Majesty herself. And he confirms that, uh, yeah, I saved the queen from witches. We get a little cool shot of that uh, story. Yeah. He's like admitting that it's true, but he's like, he's like, yeah, it's true. And now I have the stupid name and somebody in the uh, in the bar who notices him says Witchfinder. But he seems to hate the name. And then he talks a little bit about Henry Hood. Yeah, like we get an understanding now of why he yeah. dislikes this name. Yeah, he's like, that's the same name they give, gave to Henry Hood. He killed 300 women in two years. And was fucking killed personally by the devil and haunts these woods now. Like, I don't really want to be associated with that. We get a cool, fun, like, panel of Henry Hood with his coins in his eyes talking. <laughs> Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Nah. Um, I just wanted know. to screw women. Right. Dirty Even old though man. it's just a creep. <laughs> yeah, so I think that's why Edward Gray's like, mm, I would rather not be called that. So yeah, it's like, they're just kind of talking like that. Mary's like, yeah, you're nothing like him and all that stuff. They actually, he smiles for a panel, which is funny. Yeah, he like, and he like. Just even him, like, yeah. It's a little chubby smile. It's a nice expression. It's like a yeah. cute, it's like they're actually talking to each other and like being friends and whatever. It's clear that he likes her and all that stuff. They're like holding hands. I think, I think you're um, right. I think they're, 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 they see each other as equals and like. That's it. There's yeah. genuine affection there from that. They have some shared interests. Mm -hmm. They, you know. But as they're starting to do that, her brother walks up and is a dick. He's like, "Hey, stop hanging out with my sister and go be a witch finder, like your, you know, like your profession." Okay. So the captain sees that you know dudes in this pub are starting to stand up and like kind of crowd him, and he's like, "Yeah, it's time to go." He grabs Edward and he's like, "Let's go." Yikes. Mary's brother grabs her and he's like, "Uh, Mary." Captain's like, leave it. We got to go. Confirms that he's a pimp. So it's like, yikes. yeah, he's like, you know, he's basically like just even, you know, whether or not he's like selling anyone's body or whatever or like pimping actual prostitutes is I, I think he's just kind of implying like he's using his sister to make money. For sure. And, you know, you're threatening that. So he's going to he's going to cut you, man. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah he's like eh fuck that alright let's uh let's go talk about these bones the captain and and Gray sort of talk about like okay so this creature's scared of his bones what if there were a way like reeling in a fish to bring that creature to us and fix it back onto those bones wouldn't that make it more like a proper living thing so it might proper be properly killed and then you could make like a special bullet Gray's like yeah I could do that <laughs> like totally know exactly about special bullets for killing werewolves and I stuff I know how to make special bullets yes <laughs> and they're like yeah so it could be done I know a guy or I knew a guy basically that could have done it that could have like reattached the creature to its bones right, ghost to bone ghost to the bones and, yeah <laughs> and he talks about this guy Gustav Straubel or Strobel, I guess, who was interested in darker philosophies. And then we get like a drawing of him like conjuring little demons that are like circling. I him. love that panel. It looks like an e almost yeah. like an Escher, Escher painting to me. It's cool. The it's cool. Yeah, these kind of repeated little lizards. Yeah, that definitely makes me think of Escher. Yeah, and he's got this big tome with like all these bookmarks and skulls and shit on his desk. And he's in a darkened room. And it's very, very moody. And he's like, uh, yeah, you know, that artifact that you have has some power, that so double-sided sword. It's magical in some way. And then Gray's like, oh, yeah, you said you knew Gustav? And he's like, yeah, he was killed by the, his disciple who, we, you know, we flip the page and say, oh, man, we got Memnonsa oh, involved. 
which is fucking crazy. And it's before he's Mimenza, we got Martin Gilfred. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Really. Thought we were just rid of him. But he's already got his Fu Manchu and his like. Yeah, he's on know, his way. I love how the captain describes him. I could see right off he was crazy, mad as a snake. And sure enough, one day he snapped, murdered Strobel, and half cooked himself in his own fireplace before the cops got him and hauled him away. <laughs> so they, you know, and we know this part of the story, but it's fun to have all of these threads kind of connecting now. It's really. Yeah. It was cool. When I flipped it and saw, I was like, oh shit. Me too. Cool. Didn't like, see it I was surprised. At all. I was surprised by it, but it makes sense, you know, mm-hmm. which is really fun. And it's and again, it's like it's another thing they're doing well of like, even though it feels this completely feels like Edward Gray's own story, we're wrapping in and giving another perspective, additional perspective on little. Yeah, what we know. it's enriching all of the other stories that, you know, BPRD and Hellboy. Yes. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, uh, the captain says, you know, he got taken to Bedlam and we see this like enormous building this huge facility where uh they would take mm, i don't know it's like an insane asylum at that time yeah that's what it is yeah martin gilford's in here we see that it's not it doesn't have the best conditions of course not people are all crowded into cells with bars and stuff the doctor who's like walking edward gray and the captain through are like Oh, yeah, you know, um, Edward Gray, he's he's settled down a lot since he got here. He's not going to be cured. He'll he'll probably live for live here for as long as he lives and die here. And we locked everybody away because you guys were visiting. Usually, like, we let the good ones run around in the hallway. <laughs> uh, we've penned them all up for your visit, except for your man. Now, you're going to behave yourself, Martin, aren't you? Like we talked about. Kind of like very, you know, patronizing to Gilfred. Yeah. And we see Gilfred, his neck is chained to a huge stone column. Uh, but his hands are free, and his but his, his hands are, like, clasped behind his back. Yes, doctor. And then his face revealed. He looks, you know, he looks, he somehow has maintained his Fu Manchu, but he has, like, some five o'clock shadow, and um, his hair is a little disheveled and stuff. Good evening, gentlemen. I hope I can be of service. And then, like, the howling... Um, cry of this vampire over the streets of London Ooh. is the last panel. So yeah, um, Gilfred looks a little crazy, but also he's like very menacing. His eyes are like totally orange. Yeah, you know? and I mean, in his side of the story, he's like, this is just part of his journey. He's right. like, I like, had to I'm go take rest. I had to go get some uh-huh. rest, and <laughs> you're like, Are you fucking not. I love it. It's such a cool, like all these little ways of threading itself into already what we've priorly read is just so, Mignola's doing it so with ease that that's what I like. It's not, he's never winky. He's never like, look what I'm doing. He's just like slowly integrating it in and never losing that this is actually still Edward Gray's book and it's his storyline. I love that. Yeah, nothing feels forced and, uh, it's it's just cool. I agree. 100% cool. Like, again, I mean, I didn't know what to expect when we started reading this storyline. Uh, and this is turning. It's great. It's really he's really nailing that. I probably already said it already, but he's nailing this like really occult novelist. You know, I have again, I've never read really all his references, but it feels very like Sherlock Holmes and that sort of from the, the sources I've watched. It feels very in line with that genre. Hell yeah. I like it. Any favorite panels or moments uh, out of either of the, the these last two 
chapters that you want to point out? Yeah, I mean, I like the Admiral's Teeth. I think that's really <laughs> cool. I like um, the splat of the Heliopic brother falling, like the him and his like gas contraption. Yes. With his guts out. That's a great yeah. Fucking I, I thought that was a great panel. That was going to be one of my favorites, um, too. I like this like sleep no more mask that the one guy is wearing, too. <laughs> I think that's nice and creepy. Yeah. And I mean, these covers are sick. I also love. Like, just the depiction of, like, the this guy, this vampire creature, like, changes, but is kind of looks, like, he looks the same, but it's, like, him evolving throughout the story. I, I think that's really interesting and done in a really cool way. I, I And I liked this globe. Like, I thought there's just a lot of interesting stuff to look at. This globe with, like, the inner world kind of carved into it, I thought was, like, a neat bit of, like, pseudoscience, like, bullshit kind of. Side. Yeah, I don't know. That stuff's fun. I I do. I I'm with you there. I love that little detail, and and yeah. like I love that you don't get right in on it, but you just put it together so quickly. We're like, oh, that's a funny. This thing is like it was a church, but also it's this cult to this idea that there's this inner world is wild. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What about you? Is there like anything? I mean, from the first issue or first chapter three, the first one we covered. Um, I absolutely love that whole page of like the history of these subterranean um, hyperborean like creatures the vampire came from. I think that's yeah. great. I loved I, I, you equated it to Soromon, and I thought that was a great thing. And I think it's really cool. It feels like its own large mythology. I love, I love when Mignola has just slowly built onto his lore and mythology. He doesn't really. He ever does. Yeah. He never like rushes it at us which i think he's this is what that page sort of symbolizes for me yeah i love that and then in chapter and then chapter four i absolutely after the part where that guy's weight torso just falls to the ground i truly love that menacing vampire gorilla arms just looming over witchfinder and witchfinder's back to us and then their little stare and as it before it lumbers off I love that moment. I think that panel is just incredible. Yeah. That's a great moment. And I think that's all. That's probably my highlight. I think, And I do really love, like, I know I said Escher and all that. These little demons surrounding Strobel is so, I love that panel. The choice of, like, Dave Stewart just giving the red to those little um, lizards that sort of seem like the... Yeah. I mean, how many are there? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I mean, is he dealing with Agru Dahad there? Um, <laughs> Ooh, shit. Uh, and I think that's really cool. And I think, I just think overall, like I'm, I've touched on this again, like the use of panels and the, the number of panels variants from varying from Hellboy's books, as well as BPRDs. For some reason, I think the, the panel usage feels like it's in the right genre of comic and yeah. like it's again, they're not like overusing it and there's no little really clutter, but they're definitely different layout. And I think it works for specifically the kind of mystery story that we're, we're in. And I think they're Mignola and uh, Stenbeck are really using them quite wisely. I think overall to give the yeah, right, yeah. the right like eerie time period pacing to the whole story. Yeah. And I like um as far as like the panel layout, there there are a lot of like there are a lot of pages with just like standard boxes with uh borders. 
But there are a lot also that have like most of the page will be like your standard bordered panel with one that like bleeds into the outside. Mm -hmm. But in a in a cool way, like where I mean, like, for instance, like when the Heliopic Brotherhood has the vampire cornered in the square, that's like happening at the top of the page and that's bleeding off. That's like bleeding, taking up the whole page at the top and it's sort of like this chaotic moment and it like hits you right as you turn the panel yeah. uh, or right as you turn the page you see that panel first so it's like this kind of chaotic moment that's supposed to be happening like fast though so I like that use of it like bursting right out of the page like not being contained within a yeah. panel but then and the next like steps are quick and they're showing you in like these smaller panels but yeah like there's a few there's like a bunch of that kind of happening where like one big big shot will be happening and that'll bleed and then these like smaller close-ups like of edward gray encountering the vampire where it's like looming over him that's bleeding off the page but then the close-ups are contained within these panels so it feels like a quick shot of that happening like it i i don't exactly like no <laughs> know how to further yeah, articulate it except i really liked this it works really what well. you're talking about i really love the use of it when they settle at the at the at the pub yeah the pub is really good and they have this conversation about their history you have all these traditional panels that are laid out so that it lets you in on their memory like and it's like it's like this is happening in the present moment and this is the image that is conjured in Mary's mind on the first one and then in Witchfinder's yes. mind in the second And I one. love yeah. that because and putting it And it like it, it like bleeds into the borders yes. behind the other panels. So it's like in, you know, kind of like uh saturating this moment. They're like thoughts are lingering on these moments. Yeah, and putting it and setting them behind panels, it it literally yeah. just visually keeps it and like it keeps it at like, oh, the present is this top panel. And those, as you stated, are like in the past, which is really cool. Yeah. I just think it's a cool effect that they've, they've done consistently through the book and they use it for di various reasons throughout. And then they'll break back into a traditional layout because it's like, well, everything's now becoming present. That's very cool. I'm with you. I, I really, really like the uh, layouts here. And then sometimes they just use it to like get us into like setting the tone. Like when we go to Bedlam, it's like we get exterior shot that's overcome by these four panels. But those four panels yeah. are just building like new environment and and now the tone of where of the location. And I love that. Yeah. And then you end on one of those with this fucking monster howling out. Right. Know, howling. Was the fucking lightning cracks. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it's solid work. I think. And I really have like Ben Sembeck and his, his Witchfinder. It feels like this is his groove. I don't know. His style just fits it so perfectly. Yeah, I think so too. It's like it's like there like there's a lot going on and you could probably get very overwhelmed with like especially like old London like there's so much you could get caught up in details there but I think he conveys the details, conveys all these textures without it being confusing. Like it's still very clean. You're 100% right. Yeah. You're 100% right, Kate. <laughs> um any additional thoughts on these last two chapters before we move on? That's no, I mean, that's kind of it. I, I am excited to read the conclusion of this thing. Yeah, I have not read it and I'll read it when right before or twice before we record. I'm very yeah. interested to see how Martin will figure into the, the, the finale of this story. Right, what's yeah. he going to do? I'm like, yeah. can you trust? And we know we can't trust him. So we're can like, you? and we yeah, can't tell. Can't. We're like, don't trust that guy. <laughs> and the captain in which uh, and the captain in like gray's faces as they look at this guy like yeah 
you can tell they're kind of like spooked by him. He's like uh, unsettling, yes, you know, a hundred percent. And for like a guy, for like two guys that have been like fighting a vampire to be like spooked by this guy, like his energy must be very bad, <laughs> yes. you know. So it's it's exciting to see like what what are their interactions going to be like in the next issue. Yeah, hell, hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we want to hear your thoughts. Those were our f- sort of final thoughts on these two last two chapters. Yeah. Listeners, we want to hear from you. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the well, chapter three and four of Sir Edward Grey, Witchfinder in the Service of Angels, or anything we've covered prior, those the first two chapters, or anything else we've ever covered on the show, of course. Please email us your thoughts so we can share them on the show and discuss that even further. You can do so by emailing us at awcrapahellboypodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Um, I had some suggestions. What about you? Uh, wait, let me hear Great. yours. I mean, you know, go go watch go watch all these Shudder movies <laughs> I keep talking about over and over. As we were reading it, I was like, oh, and the final image. So it's one is as we just were reading it and loving this vampire design. I really... I just really dug that. And there's another vampire that I love. And it's mainly because when I was collecting Spawn toys back in the day, they brought out action figures for this comic book called Wetworks, um, which is, I don't think you can find a a digital version of it. You can look up images, Wetworks, very early image. It's about guys that covered in this like pseudo, like sort of like goldish skin protection I can't remember of it, but the vampire designs and that, because they fight vampires and there's werewolves are awesome. Specifically, if you look up the Wetworks action figures, the vampires have these really awesome long arms. Oh, cool. And I love them. And this vampire design sort of in its own unique way reminded me of Wetworks. So everybody should check out the action figures. What a crazy name. Yeah, it's, I, I, I feel like I only read parts of it and I've been wanting to find it collected that's not too expensive, but I don't know if they've ever released it digitally. I looked on Hoopla. I couldn't find it. Hopefully, I'll get to read it again one day. All of it. William Wills Portacio. Portacio is the artist. That's crazy looking. They're so, they're cool. Yeah. Good vampire design, specifically the toy. Check out McFarland Toys, Wetwork stuff. It's great. Oh, yeah. These are sick. And then also the same thing. The, the, the last image of our vampire on the roof made me think it looked like he looked like a like a puppet to me. Not in a bad way, but like he reminded me of Labyrinth, that big like gorilla that helps her. And then. Yeah, yeah. Attack the block. Just because attack the block is all like practical effects for the most part on their monster and their aliens. And it reminded me of that, too. And I was like, if they ever did this storyline for Witchfinder. I hope they have a way of doing combination of practical and. CGI to make this vampire. That's it. Hell yeah. That sounds great. Go check those out. Wet works and attack the block. Oh, I guess I have one suggestion, but it's not like super. I, I guess it's related and that it's like horrific. Ooh. It's like less of a horror, but it's like called uh, on Shutter. Well, okay. So the movie's called Dance with the Devil. Ooh. And it's by the same guy that I've kind of been talking about that did like 30 coins and stuff. Right. Uh, I think it's called, sorry, it's called like something else on Shudder. Oh, Perdita Durango. Perdita Durango. It's like the main character played by Rosie Perez. And Javier Bardem's in it. It's a crazy fucking movie. It's so crazy. It's also on Tubi for free with uh, commercials and stuff. It's like, it's just, it's a crazy movie. A lot of crazy shit happens. They're like degenerates. It's like an amoral 
love story is how the director <laughs> sort of like it. true romance like, in a sense yeah yeah they're like na- it's like an, a true romance or like Killers. natural born killers kind of a situation where they're like both disgusting like m- murderers and stuff like they're awful but it, it's a really compelling movie right yeah and there's like a lot of like funny stuff in it um <laughs> i watched it jessica's parents came to like came to visit because jess is uh, as you know, I mean, I don't know if I even said this. Jess is like recovering from spinal surgery. She's doing great. But her parents came to visit to help out with like just with her and stuff while we're like uh, while she re- was recovering. And uh, so we all watched this movie together. I would suggest not watching this movie with any parental figure. Yeah, probably not. It's uh, yeah. <laughs> that was the biggest mistake. They, Unless your parental they, figure like, is into this shit, don't do it. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, uh, you know, probably not the ideal way to watch it, but it was, it's a cool movie and <laughs> cool. I mean, cool. I, I don't even know what to call it because it has some of the most like gross, horrific shit I've ever really seen in a, in Spoil a movie. Spoil one moment for all of us. What's the horrific moment? <sighs> I mean, okay, well, they're like, they're basically like murderers and like, yeah, they like attack people and assault people and like. Then there's these other implications of this other like mm, crime lord who's like basically implied that he d- he's a, a pedophile in a, like a really disgusting right. way. That was probably the that was the thing that I was like, yo, this movie is fucking wild the way that it's like conveying this shit. And I was like, I can't believe like Rosie Perez and Javier Bardem like agreed to do these part. Like they're really crazy like evil characters. How old is it? What for year? these guys to do? It's from the nineties. It's from like they haven't been um, discovered yet. It's not. <laughs> Well, I I mean, it was definitely after, like, White Man Can't Jump and stuff like that. Like, they were both, like, a big established actors because it, it was, like, it's, like, late 90s, 97. So, yeah, like, they were they were already, you know, pretty set in their own in their own right. I mean, Javier is such but, an interesting actor that I, he, he he'd probably be attracted to playing something crazy. Yeah, I think I think it, like, kind of makes sense that he would would do like a crazy movie especially especially then like just doing like more uh like edgier kind of movies and stuff he's super compelling in the movie though it's like you're watching like a fucking car crash wow so check it out i wouldn't call i'm I'm not like i'm not like it's great because like it deals with a lot of horrible shit. For sure. If it comes down my path, that's something I'll definitely check out. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> I guess that's it for this episode, everyone. Um, once again, we'd love to hear your thoughts um, at Crap, a Hellboy Podcast at gmail.com. As well as you can follow us on Instagram at Crap, a Hellboy Podcast, Twitter, Crap Hellboy. Um, when we post there, if you reply or comment, we do our darndest to reply to that as well and follow up with you in a timely manner. But if you want your thoughts on this show and you want us to discuss your thoughts and share your thoughts, tell us that we're wrong about something and, you know. Oh, thanks to Kevin Hines for, like, messaging us there, like, little things that we have, like, questions about. It's yes, exactly. And- if he's if he's still like listening at this point of the podcast, thank you, thank Kevin. you, Kevin. Thank you, anybody that does that that like informs us via those yeah. means. Um, we don't yeah. take that typically and put it on the show. So if you want to get us, you know, get us good and make us talk about the thing we got wrong or we missed or we misunderstood or just blatantly missed on that one with that Kevin Hines called out, email us again at awcrapahellboypodcast at gmail And then I would just like to ask. If you can please rate and review us on whatever platform that you listen to us, if they give you that option, give us a rating, re- review us, uh, 
whatever, you know, however they rate it. Sometimes it's stars, which is what I'm getting to right now. If you can please all go out of your way to go into Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review that starts with the word boom. Now, you can just give us that five-star review and give us whatever review you want. But if you give us a five-star review that starts with the word boom, we will read that review right here on the show, give you a big old shout out and praise you, give you all the love. We call that a boom review. Please give us a boom review on Apple Podcasts. Yeah. That gets more people to the show. I hope I didn't miss anything. I'm ra- wrapping no, this up. No, no, I don't I think, think so. That's it for this episode. We'll be back next week to wrap up this um, first very own storyline of Sir Edward Grey, Witchfinder in the service of angels. Yeah. We'll see you next week, folks. Thank you again for listening. And remember, we love you. I'm sorry. That was good. I like yeah, it. Yeah, Beth walked in in just a towel and wild hair ready for the shower. And she grabbed a purse, which looks like she's going out in just a towel. Bye. And I couldn't stop laughing. It was like truly comedically perfect timing. <laughs> Hi, Adam Peacock from My Neighbors Are Dead here. Each week on My Neighbors Are Dead, I talk to the tertiary characters real and imagined from your favorite horror films. But this summer, we're doing something different. We are taking you to the northern woods of Michigan all the way up to Whitlow Lake to bring you the original tale of the My Neighbors Are Dead summer camp massacre. We're bringing back some fan favorites of the show as we try to piece together through interviews with survivors, witnesses, and with any luck, the killer Chad himself, we're going to try to piece together exactly what the hell happened up there at Camp Willow Lake. It starts June 22nd and it runs all summer long. That's the My Neighbors Are Dead Summer Camp Massacre. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Campfire.